0: Morning. So we come to the end of actually one of certainly um, one of our favorite books, the book of Philippians. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was speaking on on this, and uh, it's working. yeah. And I, my, my my theme was um, Paul's equation. So I did say that I was going to test you. Anyone remember it? No, okay, well that's, that's a good start. Excellent. Well, I've got another one for you today, all right? So here we go. This one's easier. This is dead easy. Okay, ready? What is 1Q plus 1Q? You really don't trust me, do you? <laughs> what is 1Q plus 1Q? Seriously, Andy, they need some help math-wise, don't they? Andy, what's 2Q plus 2Q? Brilliant. What's 3Q plus 3Q? What's 4Q plus 4Q? What's 5Q plus 5Q? You're welcome! Yet Helen said that wasn't going to work. 10Q. Thank you, in case you didn't realize. Anyway, Philippians is Paul's thank you letter to the church in Philippi. Now, if you know Paul, why take two words when you can take 2,765? This is his thank you to a church that has supported him. Now, Paul, if you know the situation, he's currently in prison in a cell, which is not a luxurious thing. It's, the, it's like a dungeon. It's a cellar in the middle of Rome. He has had not the easiest time in the world. He's trying to be planting churches left, right, and center, and he's got stopped. He's had opposition. He's had persecution. He's had beatings. He's had mockings. He's had to escape places. It's not been the easiest ride for him. And what we learn is that Philippi have just helped him from the very beginning. So this is Paul's way of saying, thank you. Paul rejoices, he says in these, in these words, that at last your gift has arrived. That sounds a little bit ungrateful, doesn't it? It's about time. <laughs> I've been sitting here in a prison waiting for it. He says, at last your present your is here. It's not that, that he knew that their hearts were with him, but that something has prevented these gifts from getting there. The gifts, the good wishes, the resources, the friendly face with Epaphroditus, and the money is a welcome thing for him. He rejoices in it. Now, I remember this situation whenever I was at uh, university. Maybe you got a similar situation. And so I, I was from Belfast. I went to Durham. So I remember when I got a notice that there was a package for me. Grant, when a package comes from Northern Ireland, during those days, you were a little bit worried. Um, LAUGHTER but apart from that, I used to get really excited. So I've I bound down, I get the leaf, I run to the, th- I've got a parcel. They give me the parcel, and, you know, get the sniffer dogs on it. And then I'd open it up, and there'd be a present, there'd be a package from my mum, there'd be potato cheese and onion crisps, there'd be soda bread, and there'd be the newsletter from my local church. I don't really know why she put that in. But The package was so welcome. And you used to see other students getting so excited when they knew a package was coming. Because I told you really powerfully, you are remembered. You're remembered. You're valued. I know this is going to encourage you. And that's where Paul's going, wow, this is such an encouragement. And where he's at, he's got a person he knows. Epaphroditus has come with news and letters and, and, and a gift. So he doesn't have to live in the situation that he's living in. It's a boost to keep going. So, Paul's writing a note saying, Listen, I just want to say thank you. And a few other things as well. The Philippian church were supporting him. I want to ask, who do you support? I'm not talking about football. <laughs> who do you support? Maybe you support a missionary. Maybe you've known someone who's out in, you know, outer Mongolia, and you write them a letter now and again. Maybe you send them a package or a parcel. Maybe you don't know someone in particular, but you send to like BMS or an organization because you know, and some of the people who in this church have been been missionaries, know that the importance of receiving a message from home is a boost to keep going. Who do you support? Do you support anyone? And then the next thing is, who do you support that isn't a thousand miles away? Who do you support in a similar way Person who's one mile away or in the seat next to you. Have you thought about maybe sending when was the last time you sent a little note, a little email, a text message from nowhere just to say, listen, I'm thinking of you, how are you doing? I hope you're keeping all right. God bless you. You bless me when you do this. Here's a verse for you. Out of nowhere, because that's the kind of thing. I guarantee if you go today, this afternoon, here's a challenge. He's gonna do this. And just think of someone, ask God. Who shall I encourage? And then just send them a message and say, listen, bless you. Because Phil said I had to. (laughs) No. I want to encourage you. I want to bless you. Okay? Have a go at that. That's not what I'm talking about today. But I thought I'd put that in anyhow. Because it's the basis of why Paul is writing to Philippi. They have been with him from the very, very start. They've been partners in the gospel, it says, in chapter 1, from the very start. Even beyond their own city, they've been financing him. Remember, the people who were there, there was a whole mix of people, one of which was Lydia, a very successful businesswoman. Sometimes we get the, the image that, you know, Christianity has a diner and anyone with a bit of wonga. Actually, thank God for people who've got a bit of cash, a bit of cash and some generosity, because without that, where are we in the mission of God? We need that, and we need generous people, and God has given those to us. So whether it's a check for a million pounds, which would be handy, or whether it is your last 10 pence piece, you are rich when you are generous to God. You are supporting the ministry of God. So Paul thanks God for the money, for the resources, for the encouragement. But after he says, "Um, I've not been in need, he's a bit worried that maybe they've taken it the wrong way. So remember, he's writing on papyrus, or his secretary might be. Um, he can't press the delete button. He can't say control Z. He can't whip the tip X out. So he's got to explain what he means when he says, uh, you know, I'm not in need. Uh, I'm, uh, well, how do you say that? Uh, so he's got to try and explain himself. Paul clarifies, I'm grateful for this gift, not because I am in need. I'm not trying to guilt you into giving me more stuff. I don't want you to feel overly responsible, too responsible. And I don't want to be like these pay-per-preach philosophers who walk around giving you a bit of philosophy and say, that'll be two denarii, thank you very much. Which we see too often these days as well, don't we? He didn't want to be like that. He didn't want to be a burden. So he said, I'm not in need. And he goes, well, that might sound a bit ungrateful. So I'll tell you why I'm not in need. Because he's learned something. He says, for I have learned to be content in every situation. I've learned to be content in every situation. What is your picture of contentment? I don't know whether it's my influence of Hollywood, but I just see a picture of contentment as as sitting on a rocking chair on a porch, looking out at the sunset with a big smile on your face. That's contentment. Isn't that lovely? It might be something else for you. But we are told the things that are meant to make us content. It's the car, it's the clothing, it's the phone, it's the job, it's the perfect family, it's the lifestyle. These things will make you content. I don't know what your picture of contentment is, but often it's associated with happiness. Right at the very founding of the United States, written into their cultural DNA, is the pursuit of happiness. What is that? Well, Did you know there's a thing called the happiness index? Every year, since 2011, the United Nations produce the happiness report, which really, really the Mr. Trick not having Mr. Happy from Mr. Men on the front cover, really. But they produced a report in 2011, they wanted to find out how can we record or measure the the satisfaction, the progress of each country. And so through lots of different things, including um, job satisfaction, GDP, all this stuff about business and economics and everything, they they give a mark for each country. And the happiest country in the world in 2018 is Finland. That's nice, isn't it? (laughs) So off you go to Finland. However, the UK has been number 19 for the past three years. We haven't changed a great deal, apparently. I can't remember which countries are the lowest, but a lot of Scandinavian ones are at the top. But they write some really dark, depressing police dramas, don't they, as well? Maybe that's what it is. How do they measure happiness? Well, a lot of different questions. But the the, uh, Office for National Statistics have also released that they haven't released this year's, but in 2017, you might have noticed, but the UK was a happier place to live in than 2016. In 2016, the happiness rating was 7.6 out of 10. In 2017, it rocketed to 7.7 out of 10. I'm sure you noticed, didn't you? Everyone was just that little bit happier, weren't they? Walking around with smiles on their faces. And we live in the happiest place in the country. We live in Craven. And we don't just live in Craven, which is the happiest region. We live in Skipton, which is apparently the best place to live. And it's fantastic, isn't it? We live in the best town, in the happiest region or district, in a country which is actually top top 20 in the world. That's not bad, is it? Hey, Come on, you can smile a bit bigger than that. But there's a disconnect, isn't there? Which is why we're giggling with a little bit of discomfort because that's not really the reality we often experience. Yeah, we've got a lovely place to live in in Skipton. It is beautiful, but something's disconnected. Something's not quite right. Something's not quite right with this picture because if we're living in the happiest town in a really happy region in a country which is apparently happier this year than it was last year, why? Why have we seen a massive increase in serious mental health issues? One in four people, one in four adults will have a mental health crisis. Whether that's depression, anxiety, uh, actually have some mental illnesses, whatever. One in four adults is predicted by 2020, that's only a couple of years away, remember. Two million more people will be suffering from some kind of mental um, hardship. It says one in five young people struggle with with it. It's the biggest suicide based on depression and circumstances, the biggest killer of men, man um, under 35. This is a serious issue. In, in, in the States, in 1980, 4% of the population identified as struggling with some aspect of mental health. Now, it is 50%. Now, I know people are much more accepting, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but, but that's quite a horrific statement, isn't it? A third of Britons will experience some dip in their mental health, major or minor. Anxiety, depression, self-harm, ADHD, or eating problems. We're seeing it like never before. A man, a writer called Will Hutton in The Guardian writes, we've seen, this is something, this is called an, a, an anxiety epidemic. It's been labeled as. In the happiest region, in a best town, in a country in the top 20 happiest places in the world. That's the reality out there, isn't it? But it's not just out there it's in here as well because christians are not immune to this plenty of christians have struggled with depression anxiety and other mental health aspects the reason i know that's because i'm one of them a couple of years ago some of you will remember I i had to drop out for a while i wasn't well i struggled with admitting that because it was a weakness christians don't get mentally ill i spoke to my doctor who's not really a believer, but my goodness, he's a godly man sometimes. He said to me, um, he said, sometimes you get a cold, don't you? And you feel ill. Why would it be any different with your mental health? That sometimes you get ill to a greater or lesser extent. He wasn't being dismissive. Because we've all got a mental health, a mental and emotional, I dare I say, spiritual health. For me, the reasons for, for why I, I went on, you know, At that time, it was like a cocktail of things. There's a lot of research going into why do some people struggle with mental health and other people less so. There are calls for much more research about it. Sometimes we have good mental health. Sometimes we've got bad mental health. We all experience worry. We all experience sadness at different times. But it's more than that. Some people have maybe a natural propensity through genetics perhaps or upbringing or personality to to be susceptible to to just reacting and their mental health struggling and and, and being affected. Maybe it's a situational struggle or or, a trauma that has caused a mental health issue. But it doesn't answer the question, why is there so much of it around now? Why is it so prevalent, seemingly? Well, one is that there is more awareness. Thank God there's more awareness and acceptance about this. I've appreciated that. No end. It's good that we can talk about it more openly than ever before. But it's noticeable in our greatly developed, very progressive and technologically advanced Western culture that, that mental health is plummeting. Emotional health is plummeting. Isolation is rocketing. And one reason I want to suggest, one reason I want to suggest is that we all are sold a product. One particular product, every one of us is sold, and that is dissatisfaction. We are sold and told dissatisfaction. You're not allowed to be content with what you've got. I'm a big fan of the iPhone, you might know that already. Here's the iPhone 6, the iPhone 7, and the iPhone 8. Apart from the screen saver, the picture, notice much difference. Yes, I know, you know, the iPhone 8 is much faster. It's got longer battery life. It it can dance. I don't know. It can also make telephone calls. (laughs) But if I've got an iPhone 6 and the iPhone 8 comes out, the whole marketing engine, not just of Apple, but of the whole marketing environment says... Your phone's out of date, therefore, you're out of date. And your worth has plummeted. And so we need to keep that, it's not even keeping up with the Joneses, it's keeping up with whatever we're told to care for. Dissatisfaction is the fundamental basis of our capitalist market economy. I'm not getting all kind of Lenin on you, but it's true. Advertising promotes um, the next product, it's better than the previous. It's meeting your needs, not your wants there we're told. It's meeting needs you didn't know you had. Everyone's got it. And this is not just about products that you buy. It's about experiences and lifestyle. If you're not doing this activity or that activity, you're missing out. Holidays, you have to be going to this destination. If you haven't got this house, you need another one. You need a new car, the newer version of the one that you've got. Entertainments, you've got to go and see this next thing. You need a well-paid job. Go to a better job, because if you get a better job, you have a much better quality of life. What do we need in life? I did a survival course. You need about five things. You need a bit of shelter. You need a bit of food. You need a bit of warmth. You need a bit of water. You need a bit of company. That's what we need. Everything else is what we want. Stable relationships, that's what we're told to have, but yet we're still told, as well as having stable family relationships, go and party hard as well and do whatever you want. So we were, we're stuck in both things. We are sold discontentment. We are sold discontentment. That is the world that we live in, in loads of aspects of our society overwork. We overwork in order to get more money, in order to secure our job so that we have a a good home to look after our family. They're all noble reasons, but often it leads to money worries or it leads to debt. That can have impact on our relationship, um, relationships with with other people, our family, with our friends. And there's a correlation. I think we we can say this. There's a correlation. Ruth, I was looking for you over there. There's a correlation between debt and mental health crisis, isn't there? between social isolation and the mental health crisis at the moment. These are, these are correlated, and they're easily proven. We're told and we're sold dissatisfaction. Pressure, 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 stress, stress, stress. Will Hutton, who I quoted earlier, said this, the only, only a fundamental social change can defeat the anxiety epidemic. And I add, even in Skipton. Because we here, we have the privilege to hear stories at Alpha at CAP, Job Club, Food Bank. There's an awful lot of discontentment out there. My friends, there's sometimes an awful lot of discontentment in here as well, in our hearts. But the situation has been noticed. It's been noticed by the powers that be. And so, we have this mindfulness I'm not against mindfulness, okay? I'm putting that out there at the moment. There there has been a response to this crisis. And maybe you've noticed about as soon as mindfulness and, and being present in the moment started becoming popular, they started to market it. So is it me? Is it irony? Or is it cynicism? That the market stress that creates the problem that might make you feel more stressed and burdened and anxious, that you need mindfulness more, more, is being solved by a product which has been marketed to help you handle your stress based on products that have been marketed for you. Even the solutions are being tampered with. These are the five fundamental principles Um, from the Economics Foundation, for well-being and good health, connecting with people, taking notice, giving of your time, your words, and your presence, making sure that you're still learning and developing, that you are active and not just passive, not just sitting back, but actually doing something actively. These are coming from secular councils. These are coming from mental health experts saying these are really, really important, and they lead to this thing called well-being, don't they? And it's what we really want, isn't it? Really. And it's what people out there really, really want. It feels like it's come about all of a sudden from nowhere, but actually, it's a really old concept. It used to have a different name. It used to be called Shalom. Shalom. It's not just a Hebrew greeting saying hello, it means peace peace that passeth understanding. I've heard that somewhere before, haven't you? Shalom. We're going to tamper a little bit in Philippians 4, 4 to 7, because I love it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Do you often feel like you want to rejoice always? Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that passage, and it makes me feel rubbish, or has done in the past. In the same way as when I used to read Jesus in Matthew 6, saying, do not worry, for the birds of the air, and I used to go seriously, and now I'm feeling really bad. So I'm worrying about this, and now I'm feeling bad about worrying. (laughs) I'm a worrier. I know maybe some of you are as well, maybe some of you aren't. I blame my mum. Not not for your worrying, but but for mine. (laughs) It's true, worry doesn't change everything. But it's not a case of, go on, you want to sing the song, don't you? Don't worry, be happy. Yeah, right. You know, this was such a cute song that everyone was singing it. You still remember it years afterwards. Don't worry, be happy. This is based on Eastern mysticism and Buddhism. Don't worry, be happy. Actually, I'm still going to keep on being a worrier. It's true it doesn't change things. Sometimes it makes things worse. But it's also a reflection of caring and concern when you worry about something. So when we read this passage saying, Do not be anxious, I have found the secret of being content. It seems a bit too black and white for me. Because actually, the Greek word that they use, that Paul uses, is not about don't worry, be happy. What he's talking about is being distracted, diverted, divided, overwhelmed. He's saying don't be overwhelmed, distracted, and diverted, and divided by the worries of this world and the worries that you carry Because they will be bombarding you. Don't be diverted by them. And he says he has learned the secret of contentment. How many in our world would be desperate to know what that secret is? Well, the secret is that it's not a pill that you swallow and everything's okay. How can Paul be content? He says this: "Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, but prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Life is fragile; handle with prayer." That's awful, isn't it? (laughs) It's true, but yeah, it's a bit too simplistic, and that simplism has caused a lot of grief because just saying a little prayer is not the panacea of all ills. What is it saying? It's not saying just pray more and it will be fine. It's not about taking a a pill and everything's all right. Instead, the best analogy I can think of is sun cream. I'm very well acquainted with sun cream. I use factor 50. In fact, factor 50 for me is a bit too weak. I need a bandage. I go from white. I go from blue to white. That's a tan for me. All right? So why is it more like sun cream than a cure-all pill? Because actually, these four things, the prayer that we're talking about, is not just a quick prayer to God, it'll be all right. It's about stillness in the presence of God. It's about perspective. That's why mindfulness is not a new thing. It's been an ancient Christian tradition and practice for millennia. Coming before the Lord in prayer, being in his presence. Petition is about coming to the king with your, your, your needs, knowing that there's a greater power than you. If you know anything about the 12-step process for Alcoholics Anonymous, part of that thing is part of that process to say there is a greater power than me that I can go to. And thanksgiving talks about gratitude and appreciation for what we have. And then it says, bring our requests, our needs, not our wants. What do we need? Jesus said it out straight. He said, ask for your daily bread. That's what you need. This is not a one-off. Do this and everything's going to be okay. Please don't hear that. This is about what can we do in order to survive in this world where we will be bombarded by worries and cares and stresses and strains. What can we do? Because if we do these things, if we make a habit of it, not just a one-off, pop this vitamin prayer and you'll be fine. If We make a habit of it. Then we have this, Irene, peace, shalom, well-being. And what does this peace do? What it does, this peace just doesn't make sense. How many times have you personally, yourself, or some other people been through absolute crises? And you go, how are you coping with this? And they say, well, simply, my faith's getting me through. They're saying it through gritted teeth and through tears. Don't be surprised at that. Hey, Woo, um, the woman from North Korea, the story she told at Spring Harvest about the fact that, that her husband was killed in a concentration camp for Christians that she was persecuted, she was raped, she was beaten, and yet she had a deep content peace from God, which doesn't make sense. That's what transcends all understanding is in English. And what does it say, this peace, that doesn't make sense? It says it will guard your hearts and minds. I'm sorry, you can't read that very clearly. It says you wouldn't need a guard if there wasn't going to be an attack. This is not about sitting serenely and going, I feel peaceful. It's about knowing you have a phalanx of soldiers in front of you called the peace of God from which you can walk and try to get through the struggles and stresses and strains of life, which is getting worse and worse and worse. A peace that passes understanding. This shalom is to be found nowhere else but in Christ. In Christ. Paul uses the word content. And it's a word, he doesn't really use it very much elsewhere because it was a Greek philosophical word. It was used by the Stoics at the time who um, would say that um, essentially you, you didn't care. That's how you didn't have to worry because you didn't care. You just would walk through life. What will be will be. You have to be stoic about it. We still use that phraseology. Self-sufficient, impassive, detachment, zen-like, sitting back, not letting anything affect you. The basis of don't worry, be happy. Paul grabs that word content and reimagines it as a place of well-being in the midst of suffering and turmoil. He says, when I have lots and I've got little, when I'm suffering and when I'm successful, he has learned to be content. It's not a magical gift that God's imparted. It's not a natural inclination. He has learned it through ups and downs. He's learned it in shipwrecks and beatings. He's learned it in planting churches that have grown. He's learned it in the highs and the lows. He has learned it, the secret of contentment, which is to find well-being in Christ. When self fails, when others fail, when securities of this world that has been promised to us, whenever they fail, God does not fail. He provides the peace that passes understanding. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Augustine put it another way. He, uh, he said something about the God-shaped hole in your heart. Well, this woman, Ruth Rice, a good friend of ours, is finding that as she does the Renew Cafes, Renew Wellbeing, the cafes that are set up in order for people, what's the catchphrase? Um, where it's okay to not be okay. You are welcome being present, being in partnership and being prayerful because there's a lot of great stuff out there for good mental health, good good wisdom, mindfulness and all that. But if it's not mindful in Christ, you are missing something. And maybe Ruth's vision might come in handy for a property next door. She's coming in a few weeks time. We're gonna be blessed to hear what she has been doing in the name of Jesus, to address this issue that's going on at the moment. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. It's a God-shaped hole in people's hearts. So we can try and fill it, even as Christians, with good practices, good attitudes, good habits, but the only thing that truly fits it is the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus. I want to finish with... Um, with a message I got from someone who's going to the Alpha course at the moment. This person's not a Christian. This person's come from an atheistic background and over the years has just come to think about God's stuff and it's come to the Alpha course, is not 100% sure about it, it's got lots of questions and then they sent me this message on Thursday and it said this, I'm looking forward to the next few Alpha weeks. I have to say one thing. I've sort of opened myself up a little bit and have a sense of happiness I haven't felt before. If that's what believing brings, then I'm definitely open to a lot more. Well-being, shalom, contentment in Christ.